right, for they are hour of trial to keep you awake. Matthew chapter 7. Actually, I feel pretty awake this afternoon. Well, I did last week for some reason. And uh, we were in Virginia last night, brother's wedding anniversary celebration. We didn't get home until about 11.30. But um, I have this military caffeine gum. So, you know, I had a piece before, before Sunday school, during Sunday school. I had a piece between lunch and now. So I feel awake. So maybe you ought to buy some for everyone, huh? You have you all right there chomping while I'm preaching to you. Anyway, Matthew chapter 7. And uh, let's start at verse 13. I'm going to read down to verse 27. Matthew 7. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth my father, will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the message this afternoon is, By their fruits ye shall know. By their fruits ye shall know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you that we have the promise that your word is forever settled in heaven. You said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And we thank you, Father, that you are a sovereign God, that you uh, oversee and overrule the hearts and desires of men, even as we heard in Sunday school this morning. We pray that you'd help us as we look into the Word of God today, that realize that your Word is truth, and, Father, that we allow it to examine us and give us understanding into the reality of salvation in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Bearing fruit requires suitable conditions. There are some conditions in which fruit will not be born. Uh, You can't plant certain things on rocks and expect to get fruit. It will not grow. Um, It will not bear fruit. You know, there must be preparation of ground followed by rain and sun. And the Lord uses fruit bearing as an example of Christian experience, of salvation, and it's evidenced by a changed life. Um. Matthew 13, verse 19 through 23, Jesus told the parable of the sower, and, and then, of course, he translated that parable for the disciples. In Matthew 13, 19 to 23, he says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth not, in other words, they hear the gospel, the word of the kingdom is the gospel, and understandeth it not, so he doesn't understand it, then cometh the wicked one, that'd be the devil, and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. So this is he which receives seed by the wayside. He receives seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also receives seed among the thorns, as he that 
heareth the word and the care of this world and deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. We heard a little bit about the deceitfulness of riches this morning. So he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. That's key. Understandeth it. Which also beareth fruit, bringing forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now there wasn't the same amount of fruit for everyone. But there was fruit. There was fruit for those that understood it. You know, out of these four, only one that understands the truth and receives it. Uh, they understand the gravity, the seriousness of the nature of what it means to have eternal life. Of the price of redemption and the cost to bear uh, His cross. That is, what it means to repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself speaks of eternal life as being straight, narrow, that is, filled with obstacles. It's filled with obstacles. That's what it means when it says straight and narrow. It's filled with obstacles. There's many things that are going to try and turn you away from it in this life. Nonetheless, there are some who receive the truth as it is, as you will, in good prepared ground and give evidence by bearing fruit. But it is few. Few as compared to those who hear it, who are many. And that's what the Bible tells us. So as you think about this this morning, or this afternoon, I want to notice, first of all, the obstacles that keep men from repentance. In verse 13 of chapter 7, Enter ye in at a straight Gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now the word straight, Strong's Concordance describes it this way, narrow from obstacles standing close about. So it's like a path that has a lot of different ways to go that look easier. It's been a long time since I've read Pilgrim's Progress. I would encourage everyone to read Pilgrim's Progress a couple times, but I remember in one of the stories in it was that that um, Pilgrim and, and um, what's the other? Christian were on their way to the Celestial City. And, and they come to a fork in the road and the path to the celestial city, one path looks kind of rough. The other one looks smooth and easy and a nice meadow. And they're kind of, kind of you know, undecided of which would be the path. You know, this, this, this rough path really looks like it's the right way, but boy, this sure would be easier. And so they chose the easier path. And they go through the easier path, and it's, you know, very uh, co uh, conducive to their human nature and their flesh, and it's very pleasing, and it's, you know, it's warm, and it's, it's a, a very balmy, and, and, you know, and they become a little bit tired, and it just seems like a nice place just to lay down in the middle and take a, take a nap, which they did. But while they were taking a nap, you know, I'm trying to remember the, the, the uh, giant of despair from Doubting Castle takes them captive. See, it's an obstacle. It's an obstacle. You know, there are many obstacles that people face. There are many obstacles or uh, things that get in the way of men coming, men, women coming to repentance. Many of them. You know, and I jotted down six here. I have six obstacles. Pride. Pride goeth before destruction, the haughty spirit before a fall. You prize the idea, you know, and people can express pride this way. Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not, I don't deserve hell. I mean, you know, I never, I had a father-in-law, had a guy say to us one time, well, I never murdered anyone. No, he raped us 
granddaughter, but he never murdered anyone. Not that bad. There are worse sinners than me. And, you know, and, and some people say, well, actually say, well, if you weigh my, my bad to my good, you know, I think I'm going to come out okay. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Your pride is filled with their own ways. Proverbs 10.4 said, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Your pride is really this idea that I'm not, I'm not willing to give up control of myself. Uh, I'm not willing to surrender myself to the Lord. I want to retain control. I think I'm doing okay. And I think God will understand. It's, it's an unwillingness to come to an understanding of our own sinfulness and the just judgment of God for our sin. You know, to accept the fact that I am a condemned sinner before God and deserving of it. You know, a lot of people accept the fact that they're sinners. But they don't want to accept the fact that they're deserving of the judgment of God for their sin. To many, that's just not fair. God is unjust. Uh, who sinned? Did God? Or is it we? Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There's not a just man on earth that sinneth not. That doeth good and sinneth not. All have sinned come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 tells us. So, so pride, that's an obstacle. Pride goeth for destruction, haughty spirit for fault. Proverbs tells us. Human reasoning is an obstacle. Many people will say, well, surely this isn't the only way. That, you know, this, this, this uh, uh, fundamental Baptist way of only salvation through Christ only is just too narrow. I mean, you're going to tell me that uh, all the world is wrong? You know, Surely it can't be the only way. You know, if I just believe that Jesus is, well, lots of people believe, Catholics believe Jesus is, Mormons believe in Jesus, Islam believes in Jesus, almost everybody believes in Jesus. I don't have to follow him, so I don't have to make him Lord of my life. Look at verse 22. It says, then will I profess, or verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? Just because you call him Lord, or say that Jesus is Lord, doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Look at Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Whosoever there shall, therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven, Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny me before my Father, which is in heaven. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Human reasoning. Thirdly, fear. Some people don't get saved or will not get saved because they're afraid to. Look at Revelation 21. This is always kind of interesting to me, but it is very true. Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8 says this, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall their part in the lake which burneth with a fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Fearful. In Matthew 10, 34 to 39, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set up man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against, against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. You know, there's some people afraid that they're going to lose their place in life or their standing in life with others, and they're afraid that if they repent and receive Christ as a Lord and Savior, they're going to be ostracized. Now, this is real to some people, especially in New Testament times concerning the Jews, because they were ostracized. If a Jew got saved, oftentimes he was disinherited or disowned by his family. And so there's fear. It's a great fear. Does this mean you know, they're afraid of being in the minority or being different? Again, we are going to be in the minority. If you notice in verse 13, it says, Enter ye in at straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So it's obvious that if you are one of God's children, you are going to be in thy minority. And some people can't fathom the fact that the majority of people are going to hell. But that is reality. The majority of the world's people are lost. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And again, the reason there's the majority of people lost is because of all these obstacles that are thrown in their, that are in their way that prevent them. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. A snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. I remember... The, uh, there was two men... One of, them, one of them was a pastor that had a partner at a wedding. Another one was a Bible teacher where I went to Bible Institute. And they were best friends. Had been since school days. And they were married. Neither one saved yet. And I'm trying to remember which one. I think they, they got saved around the same, very same time. Actually, so th- I, I do know that they got saved... Each, each of them got saved, and the other one didn't know it, you know, that the, that the other one had gotten saved. So they got saved close to the same time. But what went through their minds was, what is the other one going to say when they find out? You know, that's reality. But fear of man brings a snare. We can't, we can't allow the fear of man to prevent us, you know, uh, but this, this, is a, this is a snare or an obstacle to many from coming to salvation, to repentance. Fourthly, the deceitfulness of the pleasure of sin. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, well, let's read verse 11 also. It says, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that the all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So these people, had, they enjoyed their pleasures, and they weren't willing to give up their pleasures to get right with God to receive the truth. And because of that, he says they, they, were, all going, they were going to all be damned, condemned to hell. Because they wouldn't give up their pleasures. Romans 1.32 says, Who knowing the judgment of God, knowing the judgment of God, that they would commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So they know the judgment of God. You know, Hebrews 11.25 says, 
speaking of Moses, says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. There is pleasure in sin, but it's short. It's just a season. It's one of those things of the world that passes away. It never satisfies. But many turn away from God because of the deceitfulness of the pleasures of sin. It's an obstacle. A fifth thing, a love of money. I talked a little bit about this this morning and the pursuit thereof. You know, 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. They that will be rich fall into snare and so on. Uh, Paul goes on in, in that 2 Timothy chapter 10, or 6 and verse 17. He says to warn the rich that they be not high-minded. They're trusting in certain riches. But be rich toward God. And so the love of money is the root of all evil. Man cannot serve God and mammon. We looked at Matthew 6, 24 this morning. Again, God gives us things, including riches to enjoy, to use for his glory, not to consume or control us. You know, Barnabas had wealth. He had great wealth. If the Lord called him in the ministry, you know he did it? He sold it. He sold it and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet to distribute to those that had need. And, of course, he became a missionary with the Apostle Paul. His wealth did not control him. He used it. And, again, you don't have to have love, money to love money. But this is, a, this, is a, this is a great deterrent. You know, Jesus, uh, look at Matthew 19, was very strong and warning against the deceitfulness of riches. In Matthew 19, Remember the rich young ruler came running to him and saying, Master, what shall I do to have eternal life? And, and George, Jesus told him to keep the commandments. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. And Jesus said, you, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and go and give it to the poor and come follow me. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And verse 22 says Matthew 19:22 but when the young man heard that saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions then said Jesus unto his disciples verily i say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of god and again i say unto you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of god and when his disciples heard it they were exceedingly amazed saying who then can be saved and jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's not impossible for a rich man to be saved, but it is a great obstacle. Because many times they trust in their riches. You know, we live in an area of affluence. And you know the response we get to the gospel. We're just a bother. We're just a bother. So love of money, or the pursuit thereof, is an obstacle. And then number six, this is, a, this is a difficult one, an unwillingness to suffer the reproach of Christ. Now what does it mean to suffer the reproach of Christ? You know, are you willing to accept the censure, the fault-finding, the mockery, to be different? To not go along with the philosophy and activities of the world? Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. In verses 1 through 4. You know, Peter wrote about this. And, and of course, Peter struggled with this. You know, he wanted to be accepted by the leaders. You know, he denied the Lord uh, three times as a result of that. But, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't prepared to suffer the reproach uh, of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, in verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, to be willing to suffer in the flesh. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. People are going to think you're strange if you have biblical standards of conduct. They're going to think you're strange. Oh, you're just pharisaical. Well, the Pharisees didn't have consistent standards. 
You see, there's a reproach. You're going to be censured. I mean, just look at what the world's doing. There's lots of censorship against conservative people. And it's attack upon Christian principles. You know, in Acts 14, 22, the Bible says there, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And I think this was written to the church at Thessalonica and really the, the founding of that church was in the midst of a riot, an insurrection against Paul and against his disciples. Those have been converted to Christ by the Jews. Tribulation. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, or John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you have, might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Now, don't be surprised if the, if the world and, and places of employment in the world don't accept or don't, don't like your biblical standards. Because we do live in this world. And that's a world that lieth in wickedness. 1 John 5, 19 tells us. So in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, too many people want to be accepted. They don't want to be looked on as different and they're afraid of that. Therefore, you know, this probably seven, eight years ago, we were out in visitation up off of... Uh, I think it was 1A that runs all the way from Youngsville to Wake Forest, between Youngsville and Wake Forest. And uh, we were in a development at Wilbur Park. It was Robert and I were together one evening, and it was the same night we talked to the guy that had been around a couple times. He thought he'd been a woman first time around, you know, something else second time around, and, and this time around, we're not sure what he was. But anyway, there was another guy in there. His name was John. He didn't have a driver's license. He lived in a shack that was probably eight by eight. There was no running water in it. Um, he, he had a bicycle. He didn't have a driver's license. He didn't have a car. And we began to talk to John. And this is what he said. He said, I know if I made a decision to trust Christ, it would change my life changed my life. But he didn't want to do it. He was fearful. See, it'll change your life. And many people are afraid, fearful of that change, and they're fearful of being censured by the world. These are obstacles. There are obstacles. When he says straight as the gate, he means there's obstacles. Secondly, when we look at the way of true life in Christ, notice verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. It must be entered by choice. This is quite simple. You have to make a choice. Enter ye in is one word. It means to enter a place through something. To enter the kingdom of God is like compared to a palace through a gate. So you, this, is a, this is a choice must, it must be chosen. Enter ye in. Uh, the word enter ye in is translated go in. Verse 13. Uh, verse 13. The end of the verse says there, there be which go in thereat. Chapter 8, verse 5. Jesus was entered into Capernaum. So, he, you know, again, by choice. So this is something that's done of one's own will, own free will, their own choice. And in verse 14, he says, there be few that find it. And the word find means after searching to find something sought for. Absolutely. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now, so, so the idea of here of finding is, is something you have to search for. You have to be willing and humble enough to ask for it. 
how many of you men for GPS didn't know where you were? You're out in a car or a truck or something. You didn't know where you, know where you were, but you just thought in your mind you're going to figure it out and not stopping to ask anybody. No, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, and it shall be opened. Yeah, of course, that requires humility. You know, how many of you guys, when you want to put some, go to put something together, do you read the directions first? Or you just think, oh, this looks easy, I can handle this. Huh? Be honest. Anyway, uh, no, see, we have to be willing to ask. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There has to be some effort put forth. There has to be some seeking so that you may find the truth. You know, I find that people that want to know the truth, you know what they do? They ask questions. It's not, I don't mind people asking me questions. What concerns me is, is people that know the answers and just go on their merry way, and they really don't even know. And they're miserable. They, they don't know. But they're not going to ask anybody because they don't want to do what the Bible says. They've got their mind made up. You know, if you're not seeking the truth about Christ and yourself, you will not find it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, prove your own selves. That's what try yourself. Prove your own selves. But if you're not seeking, you won't find it. You'll wander around in darkness like a lost man in the wilderness. You know, I remember when I was a boy, probably 12 or 13, we were putting on a deer drive in what we called Labuda's Pines. Now, Labuda's Pines could, were thick pines that were, you know, there's a pine tree at least every foot. And so you push your way between the branches, and sometimes if they were tall enough, you crawled underneath the branches. But you could not see, sometimes, from here to Daniel. They were that thick. Now, it wasn't a big patch of woods, but there was almost always deer in there because it was a great cover. And the way you kept in line was you heard the, we call it hoot, of the, of the guy next to you. So you listened, you know, to keep yourself in line because you couldn't see anybody. Even though you may be here from the door away from the next person, you couldn't see him. Well, he's 12 or 13, you know, and this was just kind of a straight, it was just a straight drive, and there really was, it was rather, rather flat, so the, the contour of the land didn't cause you to get confused much. But I got turned around in those pines, and I ended up in the back, but where I started, but I didn't know it was where I started, and I was just walking, you know, just, and I couldn't hear anybody anymore. So I just kept on walking, walking out down to the little trailer, Labuda's little trailer camp, where we went in. But I, I didn't know where it was. Now my brother got lost in there sometime a little bit later, and he was just wandering around, and he, he came wandering out next to a, a guy, that, another guy that had a camp on the other end of it, and he said he was, he was crying, and he was just walking so fast, and, and he said he, he came to a stream. He didn't, even walk, he didn't even look for a place to cross the stream. He just plunged right through it. He said he was kind of beside himself. What was he doing? He's, he's just wandering around. He didn't know where he was going. And the guy stopped him and told him, you know, asked him, gave him directions. You know, that's what a lot of people are. They're just wandering around in the wilderness because they will not seek. They will not ask. They will not search out the truth. God's word is meant to be searched out. It's meant to be analyzed, if you will. See, few there be that find it, because there's few that are willing, really, to honestly search out the truth, because they're fearful of where the truth will lead. See, We need to prove the truth of God, of who He is, of our own sinfulness against Him, that we might find salvation, new life in Him. That's the way. 
Secondly, true profession will be demonstrated by fruit. And we see this in verses uh, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are waving wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know him, know them. So, it's demonstrated by its fruit. And, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the idea there is, it's a continual act of progression. It's not a one-time happening of things are becoming new. You are a new creature in Christ, a new creation, but continue, things become new. It's, it's an active, ongoing thing. You know, the works of the flesh and spirit are concentrated. We looked at those in Galatians 5, 16 through 24 this morning. And, 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 and you know, all these verses demonstrate that when there is a true profession, it will be evidenced by fruit. Let's look at a couple. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20 says, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, so if, he says that if you've, if you've, so you have heard him and have been taught by him, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if you are saved, God's going to continue to work in your life to bring about His will in your life until the day you go to be with Him. First Peter 2 talks about us as lively stones, a royal priesthood called out of darkness into light, Titus 3.14 says we need to maintain good works for necessary uses. Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his, what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, every passage of the Bible talks about when a person is born again, there's a change that takes place. You know, we looked at that in, in Matthew 13 this morning, where he talks about some, you know, they bring forth, they bring forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Not everyone bears the same amount of fruit. Not all fruit trees bear the same amount of fruit. But they bear fruit. Or, got, or, or you cut them down. Unless you want just an ornament. You see, there's fruit. True profession will be demonstrated by its fruit that it bears. The, this idea that a person can make a profession of Christ and lack evidence is really foreign to the Bible. It's not taught there. And then thirdly, we see the revealing of true faith in Christ. And here's what reveals true faith. Notice verses 24 to 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew a beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So here's what really reveals. We're talking about the revelation of true faith, or what reveals true faith in Christ. Is number one, obedience to the will of God. Obedience to the will of God. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
ye that work iniquity. So obedience to the will of God. He says, not everyone that saith, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will of God to every believer? Well, John 14, 21 says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my commandments. What are the commands of God? Well, command he gave his disciples after his resurrection was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded them. Acts 1, you know, he gave commandments to his disciples to continue the works that he had done. They, again, they were going to all the world. They were witnesses. He, they would receive power to be witnessed unto him, both in Jerusalem, Judea, the Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And, and, and how, this, how they put this into practice is we read about further on in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, Peter preached. They heard this. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost. This was what God commanded. This is God's commandments. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, and then the promise, the commandment, you might say, is unto you and unto all your children that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that glad to receive his word were baptized. The same day there added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So, they were, these were commanded by, by those who Jesus commanded to be baptized, to repent and be baptized, that is, to join the church, and then to be sent out as witnesses, to continue. To evangelize, this is what they did, they were commanded to do, to evangelize and start other, other churches. You know, there are many, he says there are many, will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many more works? And he says in verse 21, they're not doing the will of my Father. You know, there are many outside the Lord's churches doing their own thing in the name of the Lord. Jude said in Jude 1 verse 4, there are certain men crept in unawares, they crept into the churches, who were before old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning their grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they turn the grace of God into that which pleases men. Verse 16, he says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And the word advantage means usefulness for profit. Do you know there's a lots of people involved in church work today for profit? It's big business for some, for many. It's big business. Advantage. And they're doing it in the name of the Lord. It's useful for their profit. But is it the will of God? You know, I think Judas was in it for his profit. John says he... Bear the bag and what was put therein. In other words, he was embezzling money right out of the treasury of the first church, the Lord's church, using it for his own gain. Now, I don't know where Judas came from. We have no history of his background. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he was a, grew up a poor man, or you know he had some kind of disadvantages, and boy, he was going to make sure he was taken care of. And this was an opportunity. You know, a lot of 
a lot of people look at church as an opportunity. I was talking to a friend of mine some years ago, and we were in Maine, and it was a child, involved a child molestation case in a church. The pastor went to jail for it. And in court record, in the court, they asked him concerning some of his beliefs. And this was an independent Baptist, quote, unquote. They asked him. He said, oh, I don't believe that stuff. And he said, well, why are you a pastor then? And he said, it gives me control over people. You see, are you serving the Lord for your profit or his? Are you serving the Lord for what you can get out of it or for the Lord? You, it says many will say, many. And to that many, he will say, depart from me, ye that will work iniquity. To that many, he's going to say, depart from me into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For that many, he's going to say, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. He's going to say, depart into hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. See, it's revealed by those who do the will of God. Second thing we see here is what reveals true salvation is trials and tribulation. It reveals the reality of faith. Notice verse 24 through 27. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. And then verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Now, there's some things here that are alike. Everything's alike except the outcome. They all heard. Floods came. The rains and the floods came. That speaks of catastrophes. Trials, tribulation, difficulties in the life. It came. And it says in verse 24, that he that doeth them, I will liken him a wise man, which built his house upon a, upon a rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded on a rock, upon a rock. Now we know that that rock is Christ Jesus. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. But the other was, and again, the same kind of thing happened. Rain descended, floods came, winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Again, those who understand and truly repent of their faith in Christ, they cling to him. They endure. They endure the hardships of life. They're willing to suffer the hardships. Uh, in Matthew 13, we looked at four examples, and all had trials and difficulty that proved them not genuine in repentance, three out of the four. You know, if you were in financial trials, will you tithe? Will you give the Lord what's his? Do you know what Malachi 3.10 says? Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse and maybe meet in mine house and prove me now herewith. Saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. You see, trials reveal where our trusts are. Do we really believe God? Or do we not? Do you really believe God is sovereign? That He can, that he can work things out for, for our need, for our good? Do we really believe that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning? Do we really believe that, though I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? Do we really believe that my God shall supply all my needs according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus? When I, it looks like there's not going to be enough to buy bread. 
Will I still give God what's His? You know, Matthew 24, it says, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. You know, those that are true endure the afflictions of life. What I have found was those that are truly saved, when they're tried, you know what they do? They run to the Word of God and they search for the answers and they become more and more confirmed of the truth that they have. But I've seen many times where people who are faced with a difficulty, something they didn't like, and they just throw up their hands and walk out the door. You know, a lady said to me one time, she said, uh, well, that's, a, that's a, just about me out of the church. I was like, okay. And I thought to myself, afterward, I thought, you know what? She just really revealed the reality of her spiritual condition. She didn't care. You see, it was the trials, the rain, the floods, that revealed the foundation of those who were truly saved. And it revealed the lack of a foundation of those who were just in it. Or just going along with it for advantage. See, where are you? You just said two times in that chapter, by their fruits ye shall know them. Is there evidence? If they were going to hang you for being a Christian, did they have enough evidence to prove it? Yeah. 